The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Let me first thank you for being here tonight to uh, participate in our meet and greet event for the uh, next Lansing Fire Chief. We have three of our finalist candidates with us tonight, which uh, we'll give you an opportunity to meet and uh, interact with. Um, you can take notes there, and what we want you to do is score them from one to five, five being better, one being worse number, and uh, we're going to expect that those will be collected at the end of the evening as you exit this particular room, and we really uh, encourage you to, uh, you know, be thoughtful. Uh, your suggestions, your input will be uh, used tomorrow uh, for the community panel and also given to the uh, fire commission and ultimately will go to uh, Mayor Shore. Anyone have any questions of me before we begin? All right, looking good. Yes, ma'am. Will we have a chance to ask questions ourselves? Quick question. Will we have a chance to ask questions ourselves? Um, we're really on a kind of a tight time frame for this evening, so there is going to be a one-on-one -on -one between yourself and the individual candidates. So maybe that's a good point, you know, that you can ask them your question, you know, right face to face with them. Yes, ma'am. That's a no to the question she asked. Uh, a basic no, but you know we'll be a little bit flexible when you get to the one-on-one. -on -one. All right. Our first candidate is uh, Brian Sturdivant. Brian, you stand up for just a second. Uh, Brian uh, has served uh, 30 years in the fire service. Uh, since 2018, he's been the fire chief in Battle Creek, Michigan. Uh, prior to that, he was executive deputy fire chief in Petersburg, Virginia for four years, uh, fire chief in Milpitas, California for four years, and a deputy chief in Scottsdale, Arizona for five years. Uh, Brian has a graduate degree from the Naval Postgraduate School, Center for Homeland Defense and Security, and an undergraduate degree in Public Safety Administration from Grand Canyon University. Uh, Brian is also a graduate of the National Fire Service Staff and Command Program uh, at the University of Maryland. Please welcome Brian. Our second candidate is uh, Edwin Miller. Uh, Ed is currently serving as the Assistant Fire Chief in Serling Heights, Michigan. Uh, Ed has an undergraduate degree in fire administration. He's also a graduate of the Fire Staff and Command School at the Center for Regional and National Security at Eastern Michigan University. Ed holds a Lean Six Sigma Green Belt certification and is a Mich State of Michigan licensed paramedic. Please welcome Ed. Our third uh, candidate is uh, Michael Tobin. Mike has uh, more than 33 years of fire and EMS experience, the last 23 uh, dedicated to serving Lansing residents in the Lansing Fire Department. He's risen through the ranks in Lansing, eventually becoming the assistant fire chief 
and he's currently serving as the interim fire chief at the Lansing Fire Department. Mike is currently finishing an undergraduate degree in fire administration at Columbia Southern University, which is scheduled to complete in December of this year. Mike is also a graduate of the Fire Staff and Command School at the Center for Regional and National Security at Eastern Michigan University, and he is a State of Michigan licensed paramedic. All right, I'm going to ask uh, Mike to uh, start this off and be the, uh, the first uh, candidate to respond to this question. Please tell us about yourself, specifically focus on your education, professional qualifications, life experiences, and how they prepared you to potentially be the city of Lansing's next real fire chief. Mike, yeah, go ahead. Thank you. Well, good evening, everyone. Um, my name is Mike Tobin. Um, I started my career in emergency services in 1988. Um, actually, by chance, uh, I was a freshman at Rochester Institute of Technology in Rochester, New York. And they had a volunteer ambulance as part of their service. And I joined the ambulance service, not uh, quite sure exactly what I was getting into, um, but I enjoyed myself. Uh, and as every typical 18, 19, 20-year-old, I had a difficult time getting into a niche that I really enjoyed on the education side. And my first two years of college, I think I changed my major eight times um, until I found what I wanted to do. The thing that I found, though, that was constant through that time was fire and EMS. Uh, shortly thereafter, I started volunteering for the St. Paul Boulevard Fire Department in Rochester, New York, uh, along with a Rondequoit Volunteer Ambulance. Uh, my career progressed to moving on to Minnesota, where I've got my uh, National Registry Paramedic uh, at Northeast Metro Technical College. It's now known as Century College uh, in the St. Paul area. Uh, and from there, I worked in many capacities as a paramedic, trying to figure out where I was going to fit in, what I wanted to do. Uh, always continue my education. I got into instructing in EMS and instructing on the fire side. Um, from there, I moved to Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, looking for jobs. And I worked as a street medic uh, for Huron Valley Ambulance. Uh, from there, I moved up the ranks to senior paramedic, to field training officer, uh, mobile intensive care unit paramedic, um, and I also did other stints on other specialty groups with them through my time there. Uh, City of Lansing uh, was gracious enough to offer me a job in 1998. Uh, when I came into this department as a firefighter paramedic, uh, this department uh, was and still is the department that people seek to work at. Uh, we are the class department for the state of Michigan. This is the pinnacle. Uh, there's been some changes with it and things we need to work through, yes, like every family, every organization. Uh, while I've been here, um, I've furthered my education in numerous ways. Uh, some of it's been very specific schools. Uh, the area that really caught my focus early on in my career was hazardous materials response. Uh, and I've spent over 2,000 hours of education on hazmat. Uh, I, for a while, was the team leader for the uh, department team the Metro team, and the Region 1 HAZMAT team. Uh, for a very short stint, I taught at the State of Michigan Hazardous Materials Training Center, uh, taught all the new technicians for the State of Michigan. Uh, from there, I've moved on to emergency management. I am a, a State of Michigan certified professional emergency manager, and prior to entering as the assistant chief of the Lansing Fire Department, 
Uh, I was the chief of the emergency management division for the city. Um, four days after I temporarily entered into that position to cover for the, that, the then chief who had to leave town because of a family emergency, um, I got the ice storm of 2013. I ran that incident from the city side along with the incident command team. Uh, and I've also had other incidents that I've had to manage and control such as the flooding in 2018. Um, fortunately, I can say on my watch in emergency management is yes, this city has seen a lot of large scale events. But I also can honestly say that in my watch in emergency management, the city of Lansing has not lost a single life to a disaster. I don't take credit for that though. The city and the people, uh, the, the people that work for the city, and more importantly, the people that live in the city are the reason why that happened and the cooperative and work with it. Uh, personally about myself, um, I'm married. I've been married for uh, this June will be 25 years to the second love of my life. The first love of my life, uh, married in May of 1994. December 1 of 1994, she was killed when the helicopter that she served on as a flight nurse went down in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So I'm the surviving spouse of a line of duty death. I have three wonderful children. We adopted two girls from Romania when the doctor told us we couldn't get pregnant. Six months after we came home with those two beautiful girls, we were pregnant. So I went from no kids to three kids in 13 months. Family's number one priority for me. It's I reinforce that with the people that I work with. After that's community. The fire department is the city of Lansing's fire department. It's not my fire department. It's not the mayor's fire department. It's your fire department. We work for you, we have to work with you, and we have to provide the service that you want. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, Brian, give you the same question, got an opportunity. Uh, please tell us about yourself, specifically focus on your education, professional qualifications, life experiences, and how they prepared you to potentially be the City of Lansing's fire chief. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming out. Um, my name is Brian Sturdivant. I currently serve as the fire chief in the city of Battle Creek, which is uh, my hometown, hometown of my mom. Uh, Lansing is the hometown of my dad. He graduated from Sexton. So uh, being able to serve in my communities is uh, near and dear to me. Uh, I've built my career on three pretty significant components, formal education, experiences, and professional development. All three of those areas, I have very, very significant engagement. From a formal education standpoint, I have a master's degree from the Naval Postgraduate School, which is a very rigorous Military Research Institute. I have an undergraduate degree in public safety administration from Grand Canyon and an associate degree in business from Shorter University. I consider myself a lifelong learner, so I was not content to stop there. From a professional development standpoint, I've studied at Harvard University as a graduate of the state and local senior executive program. I am a certified public manager from Arizona State University, and I have my chief fire officer designation from the Center for Public Safety Excellence. From an experience standpoint, those are two of the components. The third one is experience. I grew up in the fire service in the Deep South. 
it taught me a lot. It showed me a lot. The fire service is a microcosm of society. So everything that we deal with in society, believe me, it happens in the fire service. Discrimination, racism, disparate treatment, all of that takes place in the fire service just like it does in society. I transitioned out of the Atlanta area as a battalion chief paramedic, a paramedic instructor at the local community college, and I headed west. I took a deputy chief's position in Scottsdale, Arizona. I was very, very interested in the Phoenix Regional Mutual Aid System that is pretty renowned in the fire service. And at that time, Scottsdale was transitioning from a private subscription-based fire delivery system to a municipal system. This was a huge transition because basically what it did, it provided us an opportunity to build a fire department from the ground up. It was not an easy task. The subscription-based system costs the city about 20 million a year. Our build-out of the municipal system was going to cost about 35 million a year. It went to a community vote. The vote was very, very close, but it did pass. So the fire chief assembled a command staff from around the country, but we hired 90% of the incumbent members of that organization. So we basically inherited a culture. That transition went online July 1 of 2005, and it was a seamless transition with integration into the Phoenix Regional Mutual Aid System. After five years there, I took a fire chief's position in Milpitas, California, bedroom community outside of San Jose, right at the heart of Silicon Valley, one positive thing about it was every problem, every challenge, they threw money at it because we were in the midst of the dot-com deal. But the dot-com bubble burst and money went away. It was still a great experience for me because I was also serving as the emergency manager in that community. Earthquake seismic retrofitting was big because we experienced tremors on a regular basis. Sitting there on the San Andreas Fault, we knew it was just a matter of time before there was a big one as that clock is currently ticking as we speak. So that, again, added quite a bit of experience to me personally to help expand my knowledge base in the fire service. At the time, regrettably, my parents took ill. I needed to get back on the East Coast, so I took an executive deputy fire chief position, emergency management coordinator job with the Petersburg Fire Department. So now I'm back on the East Coast. Hurricanes, again, big planning had to be in place. Again, just trying to build my work product and my track record as it relates to my experiences. I was going through a fire service magazine and I saw where the city of Battle Creek was looking for a fire chief. And I said, hey, you know, born and raised in that city, have some familiarity. My mother's people are still there. Let me throw my hat in the ring and see what takes place. Uh, again, my resume is pretty significant, but that's paper. You need to have face-to-face -face conversations because the way we get things done in this business is through relationships. 
So I uh, flew in as one of the finalists, was able to develop a rapport with the city manager. Once she found out that I was a local kid born and raised, it was almost a wrap for her. She offered me the job, I accepted it. I get teased to this day about how I went all the way around the block to get next door. <laughs> but coming back home, there is nothing like it. Coming back home, there's nothing like it. So again, between my education, my professional development, my multiple levels of diverse experiences, nothing against these gentlemen. 30 years in one department, that never was appealing to me. I knew early in my career that at some point in time, I was gonna look to transition because I'm that guy. I'm looking for challenges. I'm looking for opportunities and way to make things a little better than I may have found them. I'm not afraid of change. Can you imagine relocating across the country? They say one of the biggest stressors is a relocation across country to take on a new job. It cost me. I went through a divorce and got daughters that bribed me because, oh, we were looking to move, but it was well worth it from an experience and from a career standpoint. So now, here we are uh, in Lansing, Michigan. This is where my father grew up. Again, he graduated from Sexton. So this is personal for me, but I've also worked very, very hard throughout the course of my career to not only reflect that I'm worthy, but to show that I'm worthy. From a personal standpoint, I'm married. I got a couple daughters that are grown. They live in Atlanta, very active in my church, very community oriented. But I wanna go back to something that I mentioned earlier, growing up in the deep south in the fire service. I know what despair treatment looks like. I know what it feels like. I know what implicit biases feel like when they're directed toward an individual. I do understand that there are a myriad of issues here in the city of Lansing on the fire department with personnel issues. These are issues that we would look to address because I have personal involvement with what that does to an individual. I was marginalized, I was minimized because I was the guy always with a book. I was the guy that they would not let drive because of the color of my skin. We had one bunk in the firehouse where the one black guy on all three shifts had to sleep. We had one set of dishes where the three black guys had to share on each of the A, B, and C shifts. I know what it looks like. I've experienced it. And I vowed to myself that I would never, ever allow anything like that under my watch. I know how to identify it. I've been there. And it hurts, it is demoralizing, and it has a negative impact to customer service as it relates to boots on the ground and where the rubber meets the road in this community. Don't believe the hype when you think there's no disconnect between that. I'm big on customer service, internal customer service. The better I can take care of my internal customers, my firefighters, there's a direct correlation with their level of customer service to the community. My job as fire chief is to help them get to yes. Educate if we cannot get to yes, and let's find a creative way to work together to make that happen. So I stand before you very, very proud, very, very humble. Would be honored to be your next fire chief, but also know that we've got 
some solid candidates here. Fire service has always been competitive, but I am a man of principle. I am a faith-based individual, and I do not waver. I do not waver for what is right and doing the right things. So thank you folks for coming out. Really, really appreciate the support and uh, look forward to the rest of the process. Thank you. Okay, now we're going to give... give Ed an opportunity to answer the same question. Ed, please tell us about yourself, specifically focus on your education, professional qualifications, life experiences, and how they prepared you to potentially be the city of Lansing's fire chief. Well, thank you, first of all, for coming out tonight. It's great to see the community involvement in this process. Uh, I feel honored to make it to the final round to be considered for this position. Uh, and it's a position that I've been really developing myself for throughout my career. Uh, I started out in a small uh, public safety department as a volunteer firefighter, worked my way to a full-time department, and finally landed in Sterling Heights, where I've been there for the past 29 in uh, about nine months, so almost 30 years. Uh, and it's been a great experience and it's been very supportive, but for me, I like challenges, just like everybody else. And so I'm looking forward to that challenge to share my experiences that I have. Qualifications wise, I'm a state certified fire instructor, a firefighter paramedic. I still am active with the people on the ground, attending trainings, showing up on runs, and. For me, that keeps me in touch with what's going on in the community. My philosophy is, is that the employees are the most important part of the organization because they're the ones that directly deal with you. And if we take care of them and we educate them and we get them ready for their job, they're going to do a great job in serving you. So that's very important to me. Education is very important. I was the one like everybody here that was signed up for every training that was possible, when everybody else was looking and shaking their head like, why are you doing this now? Because I didn't want to be that guy that needed to look to somebody else to ask for help. I wanted to be the person that people look to. And I still lead that by example today. If there's a policy or plan that comes into place in the fire department, I'm going to do it. I'm going to show it by leading it. I believe in communication and transparency. Through the fire service, sometimes that's tough because there's so many different personalities. And the personalities are what make us great within the organization. I firmly believe that there's times where we have to acknowledge that sometimes we don't see things the same way, but we need to understand that everybody has their own opinion and their beliefs and their experiences, and we can build on them and do the right thing, which is for you guys. So getting back to my education, I have a bachelor's uh, in fire administration. I am about halfway through a master's degree at EMU. I have to finish that. That's my goal, to do that one day. I was lucky enough to go through Eastern Michigan Staff and Command School, which Chief Tobin has gone through too, which is a great uh, educational process, which allows for a lot of networking with different people and different perspectives. Uh, believe it or not, I actually started back in my undergraduate later in life uh, as a goal to show my sons that it's important to take time to study and to put an effort into your, their education. So while they were doing homework in high school, I was sitting at the table doing my homework. And it was funny because I had to ask them sometimes to help me out with some of this stuff, but it was a good bonding experience, but it played well for them and they, they hopefully learned from that. 
I'm lucky enough to be a dad of three sons. Uh, varying ranges, my youngest graduates this year, so I'm very excited about that. He's going to Michigan Tech University, so I'm proud of that. Uh, so we've really pushed the educational aspect at home. And in the department that I work at currently, I push that very much so. The first day we get candidates within the fire department, the first thing I say to them is the day you stop learning is the day you need to leave the fire service. That's when we want to make sure that we keep people fresh constantly. Uh, as far as my professional uh, positions, as uh, assistant chief, I've been here for four, been a, uh, four years. I've worked my, rank, worked my way through the ranks from firefighter, every position through a fire department, with the exception of fire prevention, which I, I knew that was my weakness when I got my current position. I spent a lot of time with them to learn their skill and trade, so I was aware of what they did, which is a vital component to the community. Community risk reduction is huge, and that's something that we should be looking at a little bit closer. With that, I'm also, or I was, just um, past uh, president of Macomb County Fire Chiefs Association, so that gave me the opportunity to lead a professional organization of fire chiefs within Macomb County, and actually had a lot of outreach in southeastern Michigan. So that's been really a, a great experience, as well as our county's technical rescue team leader, which was um, another challenge with funding and training, but bigger was bringing a group of people from 26 different agencies and having them be able to work seamlessly together. And that was a good challenge and we worked well together. It was quite a, a, a wide range of personalities, wide range of experiences, but as the team leader, I was very proud um, to lead them, and we have uh, used our skills in an effort to save the city's money in the area as a form of regionalization. My current position, I handle personnel issues. I handle the budget. I handle operations. I handle transfers, vacations. So I'm well-versed in all that in a department that's very similar to the city of Lansing. Uh, we don't have as many firefighters. We have 110. But it gives me a great background and comfortable um, feeling coming into an organization from outside. Now, I do understand that an outside candidate has some disadvantages. There's that intrinsic or that internal uh, knowledge, intrinsic knowledge that an outsider has to learn. The culture of the fire department is an animal in itself, and sometimes it takes some time to change it. Part of me is I'm always look for root cause analysis when there's a problem. Too often we look at the symptoms and we try to treat the symptoms of the problem, but we're not curing the problem. So by getting to talk to the firefighters, learning what they're doing, learning their concerns, and actually listening, actively listening, we can come to a better resolution on how we can make things better. And that is... One thing that I was taught a long time ago, and I'm sure if you know Chief Feichner, you've heard this, you have two ears and one mouth. We should spend twice as much time listening to what's going on than talking. And that would be one of my first goals is to get to know every firefighter, every employee of the fire department, and to see their concerns. Look at that root cause analysis and look at how we can work together for a future of the Lansing Fire Department. So again, I thank you for... Uh, Coming out tonight, thanks for listening to me drone on. I could talk to you all night about the fire service. I love it. I have a passion for it. 
Um, I bring a lot of different skills and abilities, but more so, I just look forward to the opportunity uh, for the next couple days. So thank you. Okay, next we're gonna move on to the second question. And I'm gonna ask Brian to start off on this one. Please share with us what you have learned about the city of Lansing and its fire department. Be specific and give examples of what sources, discussions, or research you have compiled to prepare. That's a great question. Uh, what I've learned, uh, based on my research for the position as I was considering uh, submitting my application and a lot of great information and discussions that took place today is that this is an organization with a huge level of potential. A lot of the potential is untapped, but there's a huge amount of professionalism, service above self, and commitment to this community. And when I say huge, I mean huge. There's a lot. Uh, I don't think from what I know that the potential has been reached as of yet, but there's always a starting block. Um, some of my conversations this morning and this afternoon revolved around the fact that there is a ton of great things going on in the Lansing Fire Department that is not necessarily connected. It's not necessarily connected. There, there, there is a lack of a plan, a lack of a direction. I heard someone speak about the rudder on the ship seems to be missing, but that does not take away from the great efforts, the great people, and the great level of productivity that's taking place. So uh, I think that a lack of a planning process has become a bit of a choke point for the organization. And I think some of it has to do with possibly the lack of leadership continuity. There's been, um, of course, personnel issues that have always get in the way of, of, of forward movement. But all of those things can be, can be overcome. Um, I think that the service delivery model that the Lansing Fire Department provides to this community is second to none. I mean, you talk about 35, 36 square miles, you talk about six engine companies, you talk about two truck companies, you talk about four or five ALS ambulances on duty all day, every day. That's pretty robust. And believe me, I come from a background in some fire service organizations where, yeah, that is not always the case. Nothing against those organizations. But that indicates to me that there's a significant amount of support from City Hall as it relates to the fire department. Now, is there some work that needs to be done? Of course, there's always some work. I think one of my focuses would be on strategic direction. I think the development of a strategic plan that has some transparency and some sustainability. So regardless of the face on the wheel, it is a viable plan that can continue. That's what progress is about in the 21st century. It's not about the silo of what Brian would do. And Brian has spent his time, Brian has moved on. So whomever comes behind Brian's got to start from square one. There should be some continuation so that 
the progress can really be measured and it really can be analyzed and it can really be seen. And I think the key is that level of sustainability. Um, I was talking to some of the firefighters and talking to Chief Tobin earlier today and asking him about the capital improvement plans and some of the planning that goes into running a municipal government that seems to be lacking for whatever reason. This is not an indictment against anyone or anything, but it's hard to manage an emergency services delivery system when everything is reactive. The only time an emergency services delivery system should be reactive is on emergency scene. There's too much time, too much work, where we can proactively put together plans to forecast, to trend, to identify needs downstream based on what we are doing and how we are doing it. And when you lean so heavily on reaction, it becomes crisis management 24-7, 365. And there is no organization that can survive that over the course of time. Crisis management is for crisis, emergencies, house burning down, multi-car accident on the expressway. But when it comes to sitting in my office behind my desk, our administrators, we have an opportunity to plan and forecast. So that is one of the big takeaways that I was able to gather earlier today. Uh, as I mentioned previously, untapped potential, tons of potential. The bodies are in place, the, 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 the thought process is in place, the thinking, the ability, the willingness, it's all in place. But I also kind of fall back on that term I heard this morning about the lack of a rudder. There's got to be a rudder. That rudder's got to come from the fire chief's office. That rudder's got to reflect itself in the form of strategic plans, a vision. I typically utilize a couple of organizations to measure my organization and my performance. And those two organizations are the Center for Public Safety Excellence and the International Commission on Fire Accreditation International. I would look to tap into those resources to help with the development of that strategic level of a planning process. Now I know firefighters, well, what does accreditation do for us? What do we get for it? It is not the accreditation in and of itself. It's the journey and the process you go through to measure yourself so that you can identify the gaps that you may need to fill. So when we talk about accreditation, it's not a destination, it's the journey that we're focused on. I've worked in organizations where accreditation was never achieved, but that accreditation model was used day in and day out to measure the progress of the organization with a bar that's very, very high, and that's the new standard. That's what we look to achieve. So I, uh, I've got some thoughts. I've got some thoughts, and the deeper I dive into my research about the city, the organization, the city organization uh, from a municipal government standpoint, uh, I, I would like to serve uh, as a resource for, for the mayor on developing some of this planning process because it, 
to me, it does not seem as if it's just limited to the fire department. It may be a bigger bit of an issue. Again, not an indictment, not a pointing of the fingers at anyone, but it's apparent that there's tons of great work that's taking place in this city, in this community. Where's it going? What do we anticipate is going to, the fruit is going to bear in 36, 48 months? Or do we just take it a day at a time and it is what it is and we see where we are? I think the Lansing community deserves a whole lot better than that, a whole lot more than that. Thanks, Bill. That's it. All right, Ed. Yes. Please share with us what you've learned about the city of Lansing and its fire department. Be specific and give examples of what sources, discussions, or research you have compiled to prepare. Right. Uh, before I even applied, I did, I did take some time to research the Lansing Fire Department to see if my knowledge base was where it needed to be, and I understood what I was getting into. And, you know, the normal searches went on, you know, the internet searches, the, the newspaper articles, the issues about... Um, inclusion in the department and how people are treated seemed to raise to the headlines. And in my head, I came in today knowing that that was a problem. But when I met the people that I met today, the firefighters in the stations, I was blown away at their openness, at their ability to explain their concerns. And to me, that's an opportunity. So I'm a terminal optimist. I look for things, I look for the positives in everything. And that just really keyed me in that the people that are involved in this department love this department. They love this city. And they want to do their best. They need a little direction. That's what they need. They need the help to achieve the goals that they want to do. And that's where I would like to help. Uh, I'm really big on planning. Strategic planning is what I do at the department I'm at. From everything from purchasing of equipment before it is out of date, before it breaks, planning for people and personnel that may be promoted so that we make sure that they get their professional development in place. Again, if we provide very qualified people on the streets, you all benefit as a community. And that's something we can do easily because we have motivated people here. And I didn't see one frown today, which was great. Most firefighters, when they have visitors come to a station and they have to give a tour, aren't really that excited about it. But I didn't see that today. Everybody was great. And I really appreciate how welcoming they made us feel and, and their willingness to talk to us about what they like to see. They didn't really have, you know, if we asked them a question directly, they told us the answer. To me, that's what we need to do as a leader is ask those questions. Because leadership starts at any level of the organization. We have our informal leaders from the person that's on the job for six months to six years. They have ideas that can make things better. And as a fire chief, I need to listen to that. I need to understand it and then see how we can implement that to show their value to the organization, but also to improve the service delivery. So reading articles, looking up at the history, which there's a great history for this fire department, but more I learned today was from the people on the streets. You know, what they needs, what their concerns are, where they think things can go. 
what better information source do you need than the people that are here? Now, I always like to compare because sometimes if you stay so focused on yourself, you miss the trends that are going on in the industry and you don't have any real bar to measure yourself against. So that's an important part of the process also. In our department, um, guys didn't like me for this, but I took our response times and I gauged it according to neighboring departments. And we looked at our resources. Now, they didn't like that at first because they thought that we were going to be picked on, they were going to be disciplined. But no, I wanted them to see where they were at because they thought they were doing such a great job and we were doing an all right job. But by them seeing that difference, that gave them the intrinsic motivation to improve themselves. Again, end result was the residents gained from that. The residents benefited from that. And it challenged themselves and their crew members to do a better job. So... Strategic planning, having a plan, a common plan, and communicating the plan openly so that everybody is on the same sheet of music. If we don't explain stuff and set expectations and hold people accountable, then we're never going to succeed. So if we're all playing from that same sheet of music, we're all going for that same goal, how can we lose? It's just going to make us a better fire department all the way around. Uh, one of the biggest concerns I have, and it's not just Michigan, it's nationwide, is where are our future firefighters and EMTs and paramedics going to come from? And how are we going to get people interested in this career? All through Michigan, it's a problem. I have three sons. I would have thought one of them would have became a firefighter. Not one. No interest whatsoever. So that got me thinking about how we can change this. And for me, it's community involvement. Getting people in the community involved to show, first of all, that this is a career opportunity that's open for everybody. And it's a great career. I'm biased. I've been a firefighter all my life, and I'm very passionate about it. But there is not a better job anywhere than being a firefighter, being able to help the community that you live in. And just for my sake, I lived in the same community I worked in for 30 years. I still live there because I like that community involvement. I like to be a part of it. But starting early, not just high school, not just college, but middle school. Hey, come to the fire station. Let's get some interest growing. Let's show you, the young people, what they need to do to accomplish this goal of becoming a firefighter. Let them see some pride in what we do, and hopefully they experience that same pride. So early mentorship education, guidance, all that comes into play for what I think is the biggest problem or rising problem in the fire service, which is recruitment of qualified candidates. We really need to look forward to that. So how do you do that? Strategic planning. He beat me to it, but strategic planning is so important. And funding for it. Funding not only money, but manpower, person power, engagement with the school districts to give us time to talk about that with the young, uh, young children in our community. It's an investment in the future, and we have to have buy-in from the firefighters. We have to have buy-in from fire administration, from city administration, that if we want our community to be represented by community members, we need to get out and recruit them early and know that this is a job for them. And this is a great job. So, besides that, 
I look forward to any opportunities to, to do that. I have the, um, some people that I work with right now say a crazy vision of ideas because I, I want to break the mold at times. I want to challenge the status quo, and I want to make sure that we're getting the best out of our people and challenging our people and talking to our people and being transparent. I have had those hard discussions where people think that we should be doing something, and either for budgetary reasons or for other reasons, we can't. How do we have that civilized discussion to talk about that? That's a, that's a challenge sometimes with firefighters who can be very passionate people. That's what makes them great. So uh, I look forward to uh, being able to offer some of that strategic planning, some of the ideas I have about recruitment and retention, about how we can use the people, the personnel, to really shore up any of the gaps that we have in services and look for opportunities to improve service delivery to everybody here. Thanks. Well, Mike recognized that he's the last one for the second question. So we have an opportunity to answer also. Mike, please share with us uh, what you've learned about the city of Lansing and its fire department. Be specific and give examples of what sources, discussions, or research you have compiled to prepare. Well, first I want to give credit to both the other gentlemen up here with me. Um, they've done a lot of look in looking into this department, into this city listening to the needs, looking into the needs, um, to try and to determine and look at a potential vision if they end up as fire chief for this department for the people of this city. I've lived in this department for the last 23 plus years. The unique history of this department is what makes Lansing Fire great, what makes this city great. You look at why did the Lansing Fire Department get created? In 1857, it was created because the community came together and determined that there was a huge gap in a need in a growing community that was in line to become the state capital. That community drove the progress of this department over the next 150 plus years. Some of that progress that a lot of people don't understand about Lansing. We were the first fire department in the world, the world, to have a fully motorized fleet, our old speed wagons, converted to fire trucks. We were the first fire department in the world to have a fully functional, community-wide radio box alarm system to allow to contact the fire department when needed. When no one even knew what the terms emergency medical services were, in the late 1930s, the Lansing Fire Department had what they called aid cars on the road. In the early 40s, they had this revolutionary system that they put on those cars called oxygen. No one else in North America was running a system like that. The leadership of the department at the time was studied around the world and how to make progress. We've continued to make that progress in the history for the city. It's been driven by the city. We were one of the first fire departments in the state of Michigan to do advanced life support transport ambulances to the hospital. Wow. 
<laughs> we were the first fire department to do transport in the state of Michigan to the hospital. The difficulty with staying historically on the cutting edge is that everyone expects you to stay on the cutting edge. And that becomes difficult. Money is not the solution towards it. Now, saying that, having worked on the budget for four years now within Lansing and smaller portions of the budget prior to that, I would love for someone to find a couple money trees that we could plant out back and we could take care of our budgetary issues. But that's not the answer. We have to look at other areas for creativity to move forward. We do have difficulties with regards to our fleet. Our fleet is not substandard, but it's getting old and it's getting tired. Our ambulances, which are designed to have about 150 to 170,000 miles placed on them in a lifetime and to last between eight and 10 years, at three years are pushing 150,000 miles. The men and women of this department responded to just under 25,000 requests for services last year to the citizens of this city. Do you know how many of those calls were unanswered? Zero. And I will say this on TV and to all of you, we are the only department in the entire city that responded to every single request from our citizens. I'm not saying that other departments are substandard. The service that we provide at the time of need is unique. Now yes, to paraphrase my distinguished partners up here, strategic planning is definitely in critical need within the fire department. Some of the difficulties we've had historically is that because of economic changes, because of staffing changes, our vision, the future, has not changed. It's moved further away, maybe become a little blurred. We have to get more focused on where that target is now so that we can accomplish those needs. The needs start with one thing and one thing only, with the community. We are the community's insurance policy. I ask you, all of us have insurance in one form or another, whether it be for your car, for your home, life insurance. The community chooses what you need for insurance. Do you want to have full coverage when I get in an accident so my car is fully taken care of and can be replaced so I can make it to work the next day with a rental car? I know that my car will be fixed and replaced with little or no deductible. You have a fire department that is top notch. We are hitting a response standard of every single call of less than eight minutes, 94% of the time. The accepted national standard is 81%. 10 years ago, we did half as many calls with three more fire stations, two more ladder companies, four more engines, and one more command vehicle. Your department is one-third smaller now than it was 10 years ago when they did 13,000 responses and we just did 25,000. The reason why that happens is because the men and women of this department are phenomenal. Now, yes, 
We do need strategic planning. We need to move forward. We need to look at our current needs. We need to set plans. Some of those plans that have been put in place that kind of are done without community knowledge. For example, one plan that we're working on right now is a program called ALS 360. The ambulances are a vital and critical component to the service that are provided to this city. All of our ambulances are advanced life support transport units. Some things have changed. All of us are getting hit in the pocketbook. The gear that's carried on those ambulances, the cost is going through the roof. It's medical equipment. When I started in EMS, simple. A basic two-person ambulance cot was $900. The ambulance cots that sit in the back of any one of the medic units in the city of Lansing right now, if I had to replace them tomorrow, is $32,000 for one. The heart monitors that are hooked up to monitor the heart, provide definitive electrical care in the cardiac emergency patient, those are approaching $70,000. Yep. With that though, if we get into the, we are working out the logistics into the three, ALS 360 program, we can flatten our spending on this department just in the five components that we carry on the ambulances from having to invest in the neighborhood of about six and a half million dollars over the next 10 years to a lease-to-own program through Stryker that over this 10-year period is going to save the city about $2.5 million. It'll guarantee through the life of that that all of our equipment is updated every time there's a technology update. And also, more importantly, with the technology update, the newest equipment our patients are taken care of and the personnel providing care are taken care of, the two critical components. So that's one small area. That is the strategic planning and the focus that we need to move forward within this department. It is critical. We have to re-identify the needs for response with the community, want, community wants. That's just on the emergency side. Other areas that we need to move forward on, our fire marshal and fire inspection division, at its peak, had nine people working that division. Fire inspections, fire marshal, they are the front side of community safety. With development and everything that's going on, they go in to make sure that the buildings we're in are safe. All of this development stays safe, stays current within code. At the lowest points of budgetary change 10 years ago, that division was down to two people. We have over 7,000 businesses in the city of Lansing that under state statute should receive a life, and life safety inspection from the fire department once a year. Right now, our goal is to try and get it done once every three years, just so we can get in and see them. So there's a lot more to the fire department. We've done some phenomenal work. We've developed a community education program in partnership with Lansing Schools. We're in the second year. It's still a work in progress. First year went very well. The team that is running that program is doing a fantastic job. We meet regularly. We're trying to work through the issues that are developing. Some of them are financial. Some of them are educational. The difficulty of any program when we get into the schools is there's a lot more than just teaching. There's a lot more services that these students that are part of our program need. And that's some of the things that we're working through. Phenomenal department. The men and women on the department are second to none. I have been on hose lines going into buildings where my life depends on the person that's with me. 
Tell me another agency anywhere that will send people to your house. You make one phone call, people will show up at your house. They will do anything in that house, including give up their lives to try and save you. And that's the men and women of this department. So thank you for your time. Okay, thank you very much, Mike. We're gonna move on now to the third question. The guys have figured out the routine already. Ed, please give us an example of how you have demonstrated your commitment to creating a diverse and inclusive workplace. Okay. Sterling Heights is an interesting city in the fact that we have many different uh, ethnic cultures within our borders from uh, Arabic, Chaldean, uh, Albanian to African-American groups, including Korean. And it poses a wide range of different um, opportunities for us to bring these people into our department to better serve our community. Sterling Heights hasn't really dealt with diversity, inclusion, and equity up until recently. And part of our plan and part of what we are doing at the fire department is we are actively getting a recruitment team together to match the people that they, we need, want them to go out to visit. We want to understand why we don't have more of our Arabic and Chaldean communities in, interested in firefighting, when right now they're about 23% of our uh, population. We have one Chaldean firefighter. So guess what? He's on our recruiting team. He knows the community. We go to those community outreaches in the Chaldean Community Foundation to talk to the families that never even knew that firefighting was a viable option to a culture where they're family business oriented and there is an innate fear of government. That was something we had to learn as an organization and dispel those fears, sell ourselves as a fire service, and with Pierre Johanna, he is an awesome firefighter, and he is our ambassador to that group of people, just like we do for our others. The other thing that we changed in our recruiting is you no longer see a gray-haired old firefighter come to the schools to talk about becoming a firefighter. We're sending our youngest, our smartest, our newest firefighters into the schools, female, males, to encourage them to look at this as an opportunity for a career, or just to help their community in some form or fashion. Maybe our conversations with them don't get them to become a firefighter or a paramedic, but it encourages them to go to school to be a nursing school, or it encourages them to do community mental health. So it, we try to focus more on just the fire department, even though that's our goal. But if we can change somebody's mind or give them some direction, we all benefit as a community. We are currently going through some application processes, and we're struggling with our diversity and inclusion, including female applicants. Over the past five, three years, we've hired four females. So that's a great increase for us, where before, there was only one for 18 years, or 15 years, I'm sorry. We're learning that we have to be out there early. We have to break the stigma down that females, that this is a male-dominated job. It's a person-dominated job. We are a people service. Male, female, 
doesn't matter who you are, we need you. The more we reflect our community, the better we're going to serve our citizens. The more welcoming that we will be uh, to the community. But we need to start early. We need to do the mentorship. We need to get into the civic groups to, sh to talk about what we do, to show the opportunities, and to give guidance. That's all it might take, a little encouragement, a little guidance. And it doesn't stop when they get hired, or let me rephrase it. It shouldn't stop when they get hired. That's when it should really kick up. One thing I like to do in our department is I meet with everybody on a regular basis. And I want to hear their professional goals. I want to give them some suggestions on what they can do to develop themselves and to give them access to the things they need to do to reach their goals. Sometimes that's the missing part of the puzzle. People know they want to do something, but they don't know how to get there, and they don't know who to ask. And while I don't know all the answers, I can probably put them in touch with somebody that does. And that's part of the job of a leadership of a fire department. We have to have those communications. Some people are going to be happy being a firefighter, EMT, or firefighter, paramedic. Some people, day one, want to be fire chief. That was me. I didn't have that guidance. Just sit down, kid, you'll figure it out someday. I don't like that attitude. If we have somebody day one that tells me they want to be fire chief, great. Let's start with your education and get you ready. That's what we should be doing to foster the, the development of everybody on the fire department. So those are a couple of things that I do at Sterling Heights. Um, sometimes it works well. Sometimes there's guys that think I'm wasting their time, and that's okay. But I want to give everybody that opportunity to voice their concerns, their goals, their wishes, and let's get them in the right direction. And if they're satisfied with status quo, let's make them the best person where they're at so that they can perform the best for you. Thank you. All right, Mike, please give us an example of how you've demonstrated your commitment to creating a diverse and inclusive workplace. As I said, Lansing Fire Department was created by the community for the community. Lansing Fire Department and any organization that serves a community needs to be inclusive and diverse as parts of the community. It is the community as a whole. It can't be focused on one area at all. Now, if I had the magic answer to the question of how to solve this issue that the city's facing, that the fire department's facing, that the state's facing, that the nation's facing, um, I would be on the lecture circuit not seeking this position. I don't have that golden answer. I have seen in life, in the fire service, bigotry, racism, sexism, homophobia, and it's wrong, period. Can I solve all of it? No. And if anyone tells you you can solve all of it, they're going to be lying to you. But what we have to do as a community, first of all, to understand and to encourage diversity, equity within a community is to get into the community. Now, I spoke about the program with Lansing Schools. That's step one. We have to bring 
people from the community at a young age and make them interested in this job in the fire service. We have to provide educational opportunities to get into the service. We have to do that through mentorship. We have to do that through coaching. We have to do that through teaching. And we have to do it, number one, by setting the proper example. And that's difficult to do in the fire service. It really is. I have not had the experiences of the two gentlemen that are up here. I have not had the same life experiences as everyone that's sitting out here. None of us have. I learned my first experience with a situation that someone was judged because of an ethnic background actually started with my mother and father. My father was Irish, is Irish, he passed away a few years ago. My mother, Italian. My father's mother, my grandmother, wouldn't even let my mother into her house because I will not let that Italian wench in my house. That was my first experience. I didn't understand that. Still to this day, I don't get it. As I've gone through life, I've tried to learn through experience, tried to look at organizations that I've worked in and try and help and solve the problem. The way to solve the program is community. We have to have that involvement in the community. We have to look, after we have the community buy-in where we have developing within our community the organization, we need to look in the organization itself. This organization has had its issues. It continues to have issues. Any organization that says that they don't have issues, once again, they're not doing an honest look at themselves. But to solve the problems, and this is the difficult part for many parties involved, we have to sit and we have to have open, honest communication. We have to be able to sit down at the table and listen and learn from everyone's input to solve the problem. Because if you sit and you don't want to listen and you don't want to learn, you're not trying to solve the problem, you're contributing to the problem. So, other than community involvement, encouraging and trying to work through and empower the teams that have been working at the schools, um, it's still a learning curve for me. We are trying to bring education into the department right now uh, to uh, work on some of the issues with regards to diversity, equity, and, and inclusion. Um, I currently work with the city's DEI committee, have monthly conversations with them, and welcome the feedback of anyone within the community. I have never not talked to someone who wanted to talk to me. I am a servant of this community. That's the position of firefighter for the Lansing Fire Department, and that is also position of Lansing Chief. As I said, it's a servant of the community. So it's a community effort to hit those goals and achieve those needs. Thank you.
you have been the interim chief for four years now. None of those four years there has been eight current, no, we, we have eight current former city, we have eight black people suing the city for racism. We also have a battalion chief, former battalion chief, Sean Press, who alleges that she has been sexually harassed. Excuse me. This fire department. So if you want to talk about recruiting people to this fire department, why would anybody want to join this fire department when there's sexism happening, when there's racism happening? Why would anybody want to join this fire department when you can't even take care of them? How could you recruit minorities and people of color to come join your fire department when you can't even protect them? Can I ask you to put that in your questionnaire? No, that's and not, no, no, that's something that we need to have as a community because this fire department is a disaster. It is a disaster. And I want answers from these two new uh, gentlemen that are, that, are, that are planning on taking over. And also, Mr. Tobin, you owe us an answer. So answer that question. How are you going to protect people of color and minorities if you want them to join your fire department? All right, let's, we, we want to finish up with the question and an answer portion here. Um, Brian, I'm going to give you an opportunity for the same question. Please give us an example of how you've demonstrated your commitment to creating a diverse and inclusive work, workplace. Uh, that's a great question. And it's interesting to me that in the fire service, we've been dealing with a lack of diversity for my entire career. This ain't nothing new. This is nothing new. I got into the service late 80s, early 90s, and we had the same issues that we have today. And, you know, I hear this talk about recruitment. That's only one side of the coin. The other side of the coin, the other side of the coin is retention. And so we recruit, we get them in the door, but we don't retain them. I can remember when I was a young firefighter, if I did not hunt, fish, or watch NASCAR, I was isolated. And that's what a lot of Firefighters of color and female firefighters feel. So you get isolated, and at some point in time, you say, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. You walk into the chief's office with a letter of resignation. Chief has no idea what's going on because a lot of this has taken place eight, nine o'clock at night, weekends. There's no report. Nobody has really pushed an issue. But you look up, and you got a resignation of some of your diversity and it's like, what is going on? So when we talk about recruitment, we have to measure that with retention. You cannot separate them. They go hand in hand. Now, I grew up in the fire service in the Deep South, African-American community in Atlanta, fire department, 80% white. I moved to Scottsdale, Arizona. Everybody knows Arizona. 99% European-American. Okay, the department reflected that. I transitioned to Milpitas, California. The community was 70% Asian, fire department, 80% white. So this is not a new phenomenon. All of this discussion about DEI, we've been having this issue for quite a while. It is time for action. Talk, committees, all of this. It, it can be positive, but it's not leading us anywhere. The police services figured it out after Vietnam War, after the Vietnam War. They understood the value of the Hispanic 
officers in the barrio. They understood the value of the Chinese officers in Chinatown, the African-American officers in the hood, the female officers because of the de-escalation and that maternal instinct when it came to domestic violence calls, police services got it. They understood it. What's going on in the fire service where we can't not reach that goal? Let me tell you. The fire service is steeped in nepotism and cronyism. That's being candid, not an indictment, but I've seen it coast to coast, border to border. I've got too much involvement with too many fire departments around this country where I was a high-functioning chief officer and that same train was leaving that, those stations. Where else can you go and get a job with a high school diploma making six figures? Not a whole lot of places. With the overtime, you can make great money in the fire service. So of course, if I'm a dad, I want my sons. If I'm an uncle, I want my, my nephews. And there are processes in place that facilitate that. Let me give you a heads up on how to prepare for the testing process. Let me sit you down and talk to you about how to become a great candidate during the interview process. And so you look up. In your eligibility list, in your hiring list, yes, there are some similar names because so-and-so is on the department. But again, it does not do anything for John Q. Public, who just graduated from Sexton High School. Okay, he's not an A student, but he did relatively well. He doesn't have a record. He doesn't engage in drugs. He sits in to take the test. He won't score as well as the son of a firefighter that's been coached and schooled. And so he doesn't place on the eligibility list. Those are some of the inherent issues. And it is coast to coast, border to border. In Battle Creek, currently, 20 years ago, there was a consent decree. Johnny Cochran came into Battle Creek. The black firefighter sued. Judge said, OK, we're going to put together two hiring lists. And for every white, one white firefighter, you need to hire either one black or one female. 20 years ago, that happened. We had 12 African-American firefighters. We had seven or eight females. Guess what? They are all retiring as we speak. And as a city community in Battle Creek, we hadn't done anything since. So guess what our organization transitioned back to? Exactly. No minorities, no diversity, no equity. This is not a new issue, folks. Yeah, the buzzwords are popular based on what came out of Minneapolis with George Floyd and all the protests. Yeah, it's popular to talk about it. But this has been an issue for decades. When you are having the worst day of your life, it is important that you develop a rapport to solve the issue. And when you see someone knock at your door and say, fire department, we're here to help, that you can relate to, it helps lower that silo, lower that anxiety, lower that apprehension, so that you can increase that level of a rapport, so that you can address the issue. That is so critically important. And again, I don't mean to sound as if 
I'm lobbying indictments against anyone or anything. I'm just very, very passionate about this. Again, I came up in the deep south in the fire service. I know what it feels like. I'm not quite sure if these gentlemen have, but I know what implicit bias directed at me looks like and feels like. And you walk out of the room knowing that you're the most highly qualified candidate, but because of whatever, you may not get the offer. I know what that feels like, and I know how demoralizing that is. And to say that it's just a matter of having the conversations and recruitment without talking about that retention piece, because once we get them in the door and we invest upwards of $10,000 in your training and equipment, we need a return on investment from that individual. We cannot allow you to just leave after 18 months because you've been isolated in the station, you don't feel connected, there's no rapport, and it's funny. Because in the fire service, we're always talking about brotherhood and family. We're always talking about brotherhood, it's a brotherhood, it's a family. But there seems to be some limitations there. One of the things I'm working on right now in Battle Creek, Battle Creek is a civil service city, which means that civil service rules and regulations guide our hiring and promotion processes. From a promotion standpoint, Lieutenant, Captain, Battalion Chief, I have, we develop an eligibility list and I have pick of the top three, any one of the top three candidates I can pick to promote. When it comes to hiring, I have to go in ranked order. And I have a problem with that. Because once you land on the eligibility list, you've met the standards and everyone is considered or should be considered for hiring based on landing on the list. Now, we have to be sensitive. As a fire chief, I have to be sensitive because when I talk to my firefighters about DEI, the first thing that comes to mind is quotas, lowering the standards so that we can get the, the minorities in the door. That's where they automatically go. And that's okay because it needs to be an educational piece and you communicate and you teach them what it truly means. By no means am I talking about lowering standards. We're talking about a career field that is inherently dangerous and you can lose your life. You can lose your life in a heartbeat. So we're not talking about lowering standards, but we have got to get creative and find ways for our fire departments to be more reflective of the community that we serve. And there's gotta be a way where John Q. Public, graduating from Sexton, knows nothing about the fire service, has a shot at becoming a firefighter if he so chooses. And right now that is a missing piece, but back to my discussion about the civil service exam. I'm really working with my local. I'm working with city HR, my labor attorney, on that whole pick of the list piece. Because everyone that lands on the hiring eligibility list, they've taken a written exam and scored at least a 75. They've taken a physical agility exam that's either pass, fail. They go through a series of interviews with a firefighter panel, a chief officer panel, one-on-one -on -one interview with myself as the fire chief to land on that list. So regardless of number one candidate versus the number 35 candidate, everyone has met the standard. 
Why should I not be able, as the fire chief, to say, okay, I want Miss Jane Doe, candidate number 15, so that I can increase the diversity. There's no lowering of the standard because she met it. And why should I not be able to do that? So again, it's about the conversations. It's about the education. But this is something I'm very, very passionate about because I know what it feels like. I'm not, this is not just a discussion out of a textbook or some training I've gone to. I've been there and felt that. And we owe it to our communities to be more reflective. And it can be achieved. Once we get them in the door, now it's about the retention. We've got to make sure that the behaviors and the attitudes in the firehouses at night when we're all asleep, on the weekends when we're all at home, because keep in mind, our firefighters work that 24-hour shift. So the workspace becomes the home place. And with this generation that we are dealing with now, they're looking for value. And if they don't find the value in being hired, being equipped, being trained, but not being connected, that return on investment is out the window. We can't afford that. We're struggling from a budgetary standpoint. And so we have to be able to justify every dollar that we spend. And part of that justification, I feel strongly, can come in the form of the retention of our firefighters that we hire. Okay, it shouldn't matter that I don't hunt and fish. I'm still part of the team. And being part of the team is bigger than when the tones drop and everyone gets on the truck to respond to a call. Being part of the team means we're living together. We're sharing our meals together. We're joking, having fun, we're training, we're studying together. So that level of connectivity, we've got to find a way. And now is the time. There's got to be some actionable progression with what this looks like. Uh, it was interesting because I think you were mentioning about uh, your community and that level of diversity. And there are some cultural challenges because when I was in Milpitas working in that Asian community, they were, they were some first generation, first and second graders that served as the interpreters for grandma and grandpa that lived in the house. And grandma and grandpa were not too far removed from South Korea or Vietnam. And they wanted nothing to do with government officials, especially if you wore a uniform. And they were pushing their children to go to school, become an engineer, become a doctor, be, become a computer coder. That was the cultural push. So there are some cultural challenges that we, have to, that we have to overcome also, and I think that can come with education and training also. But uh, again, I, I think as a fire service, we can do a much better job. We, we, we have to find a way to get a bit creative with what the recruitment and retention looks like while not lowering the standard. And I can never overemphasize that. We want to keep our standards here. We've got to keep the standards here because of the inherent dangers. But there is still a way to recruit and to retain the solid staff that is more closely reflective of the communities. So we'll um, continue to work with the DEI committees and have the conversations and you know go back and forth. But out of those meetings, there's got to be action items that, that are developed and are implemented and supported from City Hall in order for this to really come to fruition.
So thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes the question session for this evening for the candidates. Um, I'll I tell you, I, I spent 41 years in the fire service myself, and that took a lot of courage for the three of them to be up here and kind of bear their soul to the community and talk about what drives them as an individual. Hopefully, you know, you've gained from an insight to three very qualified professionals to, that, that want to be your next uh, fire chief here in Lansing. Uh, again, just as a reminder, uh, you've got the, the bio for each of the three candidates, and on the back of that bio, there are three questions that we pose to each of the candidates. Hopefully you've been, I, I hope you've been taking notes, and ultimately what we want you to do is give the, each candidate a score on each question. We're gonna look at those scores, we'll pass them on uh, ultimately for the fire commission and the, and the mayor's uh, uh, consideration uh, when the final decision is made. Uh, we got about about 30 minutes left in our time frame, and I, I noticed that there's three of the stand-up tables at the back of the room. I'm going to ask each of the candidates to kind of lay claim to one of those three tables and kind of spread them out across the back, and we'll give those that are here tonight an opportunity to, to meet you one-on-one -on -one and ask you any specific question or issue that, that they may have for, for you as an individual candidate. And again, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here this evening. Uh, we are gonna try to close this out at, at 7.30. I want all three of the candidates to be roll rested for the interviews they have tomorrow. And uh, yes, ma'am, do you have a question? Yes, just one question. Could each of the uh, candidates please answer if you would be willing to live in Lansing for this job. And for you, Sir Chief Tobin, if you actually live in Lansing or do you live somewhere else? You know, personally, as the consultant for not only this search, but a lot of searches, oftentimes that question has to be resolved by a requirement, a local requirement for a candidate to be uh, a resident of the city. So, I, and, and I personally don't know what it is for the city of Lansing, but. We, we don't Fair enough, and, and I think that's the kind of a question that you can pose to each of the three candidates at the back of the room in the next 30 minutes. But thank you for your question. All right, uh, let the candidates uh, kind of position themselves in the back of the room. Again, thank you all for being here tonight. This is an absolutely tremendous uh, turnout, and uh, we want uh, your thoughts and ideas and a score on each of the questions for each of the candidates before you leave here tonight. Thank you again.